Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Well, hello. This is Dennis Sanders uh, with episode 85 of En Route, the podcast that is at the intersection of Church and Maine. Uh, this is Holy Week. In fact, I am recording this uh, part of the podcast on Wednesday, the day before Monday, Thursday. Um, like most pastors, I'm busy with getting things ready for Easter, but I had a little bit of time that I wanted to do this and um, some time that I wanted to put up a, a rewind or a, re- a rebroadcast of an episode that I did back in January. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to interview Steve Thomason. He is a Lutheran pastor, but he is also an artist. And we talked about uh, the intersection of art and faith, how he is using his talents as an artist to really communicate and teach um, the faith um, to others. And so um, it was really an engaging and, and um, I think, great conversation to see how someone can use their art uh, really to further the faith, um, the Christian faith, and how that can help people to grow. So uh, there is no, as you can probably assume, no new episode this week. But um, do come back. We will be available uh, with some new episodes coming uh, next week. Um, But in the meantime, I do want to uh, wish all of you um, a very meaningful Holy Week, especially uh, these days of the Tritium of um, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. And I also hope that Easter will be uh, very meaningful, too, of what it means for Resurrection Um, especially in this day and age, especially in this time, um, as we are dealing with uh, war and um, kind of a lot of of unrest here at home. So uh, with that, let us listen again to Steve Thomason, who is the associate pastor and associate pastor at Easter Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. And let us continue with episode 85. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Uh, take care and Godspeed, and let's let's hear the rest of the episode. where we explore the who, where, why, what, and how of religion and other topics. This is episode 69. Well, when you are married to an artist like I am, I am married to a church musician and composer, you really think about where art fits in life. And a few years ago, my husband and I Um, took a trip to Germany, and um, we were at the um, Stadel Museum in Frankfurt. And it was interesting. We walked from room to room, and we saw all of these beautiful paintings. And, you know, you always look at the plaque that kind of tells you about the painting and who painted it, and maybe even the benefactor of the work. But there was something else on that plaque, And it seemed like almost every other painting had this information that either this painting was, had to be hidden or was banned because of Nazi censorship laws. And of course, there were also works of art that were actually destroyed 
um, during the Nazi regime. This was fascinating for me to see, and, and that trip to Germany was fascinating because the Germans didn't hide the fact of the Third Reich, and it seems like everywhere you go, there are always reminders of that period, and they seem to deal with it head on. And I think that the staff at the Shadow wanted to make the point about the importance of arts and how they, the importance of art is to a society and also sometimes why governments want to control the arts. And that's interesting to think, because art is a way of communicating. Um, you know, we, we definitely think that the written word is a way of communicating, but sometimes so is something visual. Something visual can sometimes say so much more than words on a page. Well, we aren't going to talk about something as heavy as... Um, censorship or art censorship in totalitarian societies today. But we do want to talk about the power of art to communicate and how I can communicate faith. So today um, I'm chatting with Lutheran pastor Steve Thomason, um, who also happens to be an artist. He loves to, Steve loves to draw and paint, and it has been his passion since he was a child. He is the author and artist behind the Cartoonist's Guide to the Bible. And Steve, I think, is on a mission to use his art to tell the story of faith. He definitely uses the art um, at his role as an associate pastor um, at, at Easter Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. He, on his website, has this as his mission, as his hope. It is my mission to use art to create resources that help people grow deeper in God's love. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how Steve became an artist, how he became a pastor, and how those two passions intersect. So join me as I talk to Steve about his twin journeys as an artist and as a pastor. Here's Steve Thomason. Thank you for taking the time to uh, join me this afternoon. Absolutely. I'm glad, glad to be here. So I guess I wanted to start things off in asking um, to talk a little bit about yourself, where, where you came from, um, kind of your growing up years. Yeah, that's uh, how, how much time do you have? No, <laughs> big question. Um, well, I was born at a very young age. Uh, I, I grew up in the Detroit area, and I always introduce, I always start off with a joke. What do you get when you take a Baptist, a cartoonist, and a Lutheran, and you blend them all together? You get me. (laughs) (laughs) And proof, and proof that God has a sense of humor. Uh, Because I was born into uh, a Baptist context, and I'm, you know, I'm glad for that. I'm very, uh, uh, thankful for my heritage. My dad was a, a pastor, so I'm a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. And I've always had two very equal passions in my life so from a very young age. The first is art. And the second is studying, learning about the Bible and theology and teaching others about it, right? But uh, I'll talk about art first. Um, so my dad is a natural artist. And I definitely inherited it both through, I think, I think some of it's genetic. I really do. Um, and other parts of it is, you know, culture. And, um, but I just, I've known, you know, every kid draws. Mm-hmm. I just never stopped. And I also never grew up in, <laughs> in some ways. And, uh, but I, I, I really knew that I was going to be an artist in fourth grade. I remember sitting down in fourth grade, and I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I sat down in my bedroom at my desk, and I took out a piece of paper, 
And I just put my left, I'm right-handed, so I put my left hand down on the table and I started drawing it. And when I got done, I said, that actually looks like my hand. I'm like, Dad, look at this. And he's like, wow, that is really good. And he, as a young man in his 20s, uh, which happened during the late 50s and early 60s, he was did the correspondent, the famous artist's correspondence mm-hmm. course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Norm, supposedly it was Norman Rockwell and all those great illustrators of that era. And he went into storage, like in, in that moment when I was a fourth grader, he went into storage and grabbed all of his books from his correspondence course. He says, here, read these. And I did. Like, I just devoured them. And so from that moment on, I've been an artist. And I like all kinds of art, um, drawing, painting. And then I got, in high school, I, I got into, uh, I fell in love with animation. Mm-hmm. And animation, to me, animation is still like magic. And, you know, I love Pixar and I love all the current CGI animation. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I still have a special place in my heart for hand-drawn two-dimensional animation. And that, when I graduated from high school and went into college, like, that's all I wanted to do was be an animator. Um, But I had this, this, I had this dream that I was going to go work for Disney Mm -hmm. because that's what everybody wanted to do, especially now we're talking, I graduated high school in 1986, so this dates me. And I was studying art while Disney was experiencing the renaissance of animation Mm -hmm. with Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all of that. Like my wife and I uh, saw Beauty and the Beast in the theater seven times and we didn't even have children yet. Wow. <laughs> like I I just loved it so much. And uh and so I I but what I wanted to do is become an animator. Um and then what I thought I would do was get good enough that I could start my own studio because I wanted to use animation uh as a way to help kids. I was thinking of maybe, you know, like moving into the city and starting an animation studio for kids, uh, youth, mm-hmm. urban youth. And um, I had all these big plans. God tends to take our plans and say, that's that's funny. That's nice. I got different ideas. That's, that's a nice idea, but I got different ideas. Um, but right out of high school, um, I got hired by a caricature company. So this guy, so this is a funny story of how God intersects with my my life and and art. Um, I when I was a sophomore in high school, I actually started my own t-shirt design company, um, and I made a bunch of money off of all of the clubs in my high school. <laughs> they would I would draw their t-shirt designs, and then I went to the t-shirt place and. I brought them so much business that they hired me. And so I learned how to be a graphic designer when I was in high school. Um, when I was graduating from high school, I prayed. I said, Lord, I, I really need a summer job and I really don't want to dig ditches. Can it be art related? And I'm kid, I kid you not, the next day, this guy shows up in, in my art room. He's alum from this high school, mm-hmm. five years older than me. And uh, he had been talking to my art teacher. He says, hey, you looking for a job? I'm like, Yeah says, well, I work for the company that draws caricatures at Valley Fair, which is the amusement park here in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And short version of the story is I got hired by that company, sent to Chicago, did drew caricatures at Six Flags Great America for four years as a summer job. Mm-hmm. And then that company sent me to Las Vegas. And I ran their business at the Excalibur Hotel Casino we expanded to the MGM Grand and different uh, venues. So for the first 10 years of my adult life, I was a caricature artist and learned how to draw really fast and make people laugh with my art. And so that's kind of like the root structure of me in art. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, so is that enough? I think that's enough. Yeah. So... Of course, we know that you are a minister um, in the the ALCA. And so where did that come in? Yeah, so 
like I said, when I started my life, I've had these two equal passions. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I preached my first sermon when I was in sixth grade and uh, just was always super involved in ministry growing up. And when, when I entered into college, I was a double major. I was art and biblical studies. And I had this, one of those typical college moments uh, it wasn't a crisis of faith. Like, I never lost my trust in God. Mm -hmm. But my entire worldview was deconstructed, <laughs> as it often is in college. And I really questioned my call to ministry. And I, I, I said, you know what? God doesn't need another pastor. God needs an artist who's sold out for the kingdom of God, right? And so I kind of shut down that that sense of calling to ministry when I went to Vegas. But we got involved in a church. Now, I'm still, at that point, I'm still very solidly in the evangelical world. Mm -hmm. And so I went to actually a Christian church, which is a, a cousin to the Disciples of Christ, right? Yep. So it yes. was, a, it was um, a large Christian church in Vegas, which was um, on the cusp of growing. And we started going there in 1990. And I, it was the first time that I actually entered into a church where I wasn't the pastor's kid. And I got involved in, in volunteering there right away. And my um, leadership skills became very apparent. My teaching skills became very apparent. And through a series of, of circumstances where God really shut the door to the animation world, um, that was a, a God redirective move <laughs> to say, you know, I'm really calling you into ministry. And so I felt the call to ministry and I entered into seminary at Bethel Seminary while I was working in Las Vegas at that church. And so I went on staff at that church and I, I crammed a five-year program into eight years <laughs> and I got my MDiv in the in-ministry distance program at Bethel Seminary mm -hmm. while I was serving at this church. And so for those two for those eight years, I really struggled between my callings. Like, am I a pastor or am I an artist? And for the first few years working at this church, I really suppressed my art. You know, I did, I did caricatures and art on the side because I needed to make money, but I really downplayed that. But I found myself every time I preached and every time I taught a class, I would use cartooning because it's fast, I'm good at it, and people respond to it. And so I was always using my artwork when I was preaching and teaching. And then, so here's an interesting thing. I, in, um, in 1998, there was a, a, I, I had a crisis in my life. And my first reaction to processing this pain was I pulled out my oil paints and I started painting in oil and I just forgot how much I loved painting and I'm, I'm talking like classic painting like landscaping portraiture uh, I'm not you know I'm, a, I'm more of a classical uh, representational artist I'm not an abstract artist um, and and so I just, I found that that art was my therapy. And, and then in 2002, um, God called us to step away from that evangelical megachurch environment. And I opened up a freelance illustration and animation studio and planted a house church. So for five years, I was bivocational. And then I also taught at a local college. And so my, my art as a vocation, like to pay the bills, because at that time, I, at that point, I had four kids. Um, I was providing for my family with my artwork. And I was using my artwork to uh, teach this, help this congregation to learn. And, and it was a very artsy community. And so, like, we would do drawing sessions together, and people would use art and worship because it was a house church context. And uh, so it all kind of came together. Hmm. So I think during, it sounds like during that period, did you ever feel that 
you could, or did it even occur to you that you could use um, your talent in art um, to further the mission of God? Or, or was that something that you struggled with as well? Well, no, no absolutely. So what happened was um, this congregation, um, this group of, it, it was a group of friends, really, what it was, is because we were detaching, kind of detoxing from um, a particular way of being church and trying to experiment with a different way of being church. And we all agreed we don't want to be a, an institution. We just want to be a community of people. And they all knew that I was an artist, that I am an artist as much as I am a pastor. And so they fully celebrated that in me. And that was awesome. And then what happened was, is because, because it was a house church, um, there wasn't the traditional venue of stand up in front of a congregation and preach every week. There was no preacher. Um, we just committed to reading through scripture together as a community on a, in a regular reading schedule. But what I did was I created a study guide for the congregation. And each week I did a cartoon illustration of the assigned reading and I did it in full color, and I wrote little devos to go with the readings, and I sent it out to everyone in a PDF. And I did that for five years. Wow. And so what, that, what happened was is that each week it gave everyone in the church something visually to meditate on. That, and so my cartooning was an interpretation of Scripture a representation of scripture that was designed to help them see the text uh, in a different way and uh, connect to the text as they were also reading the text. And so they would come back. And then, then anytime I would teach a class or do leadership development, I, I, I can't not visualize ideas, right? So anytime I would be teaching leadership development courses or teaching courses on the Enneagram or faith formation process, I was always creating these visuals to try to help everybody understand what I'm trying to communicate. So after five years of doing this, I had just this huge collection of illustrations. And some of the members of the church was like, Steve, you got to do something with these, man. You got to put these into a book or do something. And so what I was doing the whole time is I was also posting them on, on our website. And so um, since in 2002, I, that's when the church started and that's when I opened my studio. In 2002, I made a, a very clear decision to become a digital studio. Mm -hmm. So all of my artwork is produced. It's still hand-drawn, but it's produced digitally. So it's really, you know, it's fast to do. I don't have to smell turpentine. I, you know, it's, it's not messy. Um, and it's very easy to, to put online or to put into print. And so um, I did that, and I did all my commercial work that way too. Uh, and so I had this, I was able to illustrate the text. So like art was my teaching medium, and it has been that way. Now it's 20 years later, like I'm still doing it. Mm. So I think one of the things that um, I'm kind of curious about is that you've talked about very various ways that you have communicated through art. So you've done oil, um, animation. Um, what are the types of, of art and, and drawing that you have been doing as of late? Lately? Um, yeah, a couple things. So I'm a dabbler, you know, I love, I just, I dabble in all kinds. I'm the, you know, that the old saying, Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I have this thing called a cartoonist guide to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that actually started with those pictures that I would draw each week for the house church. And that, has evolved over the years into now its own website, Cartoonist Guide to the Bible. Well, three years ago, um, 
I've been preaching in the narrative lectionary for, I'm, I'm in my, at the end of my second full cycle, so like over eight years. And when I first came to Easter, the church I'm at now, we were in the Gospel of John. And I started illustrating the stories as like graphic novel pages. Mm-hmm. And so then in the summer of 2018, I got this idea. It's like, we're going to go into Matthew in the next year. What if I did the whole gospel like a graphic novel? Not just the preaching text, but the whole gospel. Like, that sounds fun. <laughs> so I decided to do it. Wow. And so I started you know, studying the text in the fall leading up to preaching from Christmas to Easter, the narrative lectionary. So I illustrated the whole gospel as a graphic novel, and it was so much fun. And then um, I had learned how to do self-publishing years before. That's a whole other story. So um, I published it in print um, and made it available. And that, that project was so much fun. I, th- I thought, let's do it again. And so then I did Mark. And last year I did Luke. And so now here we are beginning John. So right now I'm drawing the Gospel of John as a graphic novel. And at a year, you know, hopefully by August of next of this year, now that we're in 2022, I'll have all four Gospels illustrated as a graphic novel. Hmm. And, and all of these also live digitally and I put them into PowerPoints so that people can use them to present the text. And it's just super fun. So that's one thing that that's a big project I've been working on. Um, in this last year of 2021, um, I go to oil painting for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I did this huge oil painting of the Grand Tetons, a landscape because we had this one spot in our home that's an awkward, weird shape. And so the challenge was to build a triptych canvas. That means three separate panels. That's one picture that would fit this space. So I did that in an oil painting on my week of vacation. And it was super fun. And I post everything in social media. And so some people who have been following me, uh, this one woman, she said, I want that. I, and so I ended up spending two more weeks of vacation in July doing this huge oil painting that was four panels. Um, she said, I want something that's Minnesota and it needs to be, you know, oil painting. And so I, I had so much fun with that. So I do that kind of stuff. I'm also involved in an organization called Artworks that's based out of Egan. And it is a wonderful organization for working artists mm-hmm. and community art and all of that. And they have a uh, group called the Figure Drawing Co-op. And so twice a month we get together and we uh, do life drawing. And that is one of my little sanctuaries because it's just me. I show up, I draw, and it's it's therapy you know and so but i've been trying to be involved in that organization just to be involved in the community as an artist not as a pastor and um and then a couple different things uh another thing that i've done is produced live art during worship oh okay yeah so i've done that a, a few times at easter and i did it at my the last congregation i served so that's really fun uh sometimes it's in real life, like a big canvas that I do during worship. And I have a friend, Paul Oman, shout out to Paul Oman, who he's nationally known for doing this. And I kind of steal some of his techniques and uh, do this painting live. But on Thanksgiving Eve of this list last year, I actually hooked up my iPad to the projectors and I did a, an, I did live digital painting that was projected on the screens during the Thanksgiving Eve service. And it was a really neat experience because um, you can do so much more digitally. And it's it's really visually interesting. And then the, the congregation got to see, so it started off really abstract and went with the music and it ended up becoming a, you know, a drawing of a cornucopia. 
for Thanksgiving Eve service. And just the experience of watching art unfold is is a beautiful, uh, worshipful act. You know, one of the things I think that um, you talked about earlier is about kind of the visual nature of kind of looking at the Bible from that. And I think that that sounds like it's, it's helpful for me because I, I tend to be one of those visual people. Um, and so it's always kind of cool to see some of the scripture that you're looking at to kind of understand it from a different viewpoint um, than just kind of the words all the time. I'm, has anyone ever told you that, that that's been helpful for them in their own faith? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's what keeps me going is that, uh, you know, people in the congregation just unsolicited come up and say, Pastor Steve, I just absolutely love it when you put your pictures up on the screen because it, 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 I just get it. You know, I, it helps me so much to see it while you're talking about it. Now, the opposite is true. I've had people come up and say, I have to close my eyes because it distracts me. And, I, and that's fine because everybody learns differently. But enough people, more people have said that they like it than have said they don't. Um, and then, you know, when I was in uh, doing my uh, graduate work at Luther Seminary, my thesis advisor, Mary Hess, shout out to Mary Hess, who is, a, you know, one of the leaders in digital media and, and ministry, you know, uh, she was always encouraging me that that because um, I, I did some animation and some illustration of some pretty complex theological concepts while I was doing my PhD work um, that that she said that is such an important um, ministry to be able to take these abstract complex ideas and synthesize them into a visual presentation to help people. And she's told me that she's actually used some of my stuff in her classes to try to help um, present some complicated ideas. Hmm. Uh, so one of the other things that I think uh, is, is interesting with art is what it does for you spiritually. Mm. Um, how has that been in some ways? How has that helped you grow your own faith? Yeah. Well, so I have this little, I don't, I don't know if mantra is the correct term, motto, slogan, guiding, saying, um, that I came up with a long time ago. I probably didn't invent it, but it, it's, it's this. Drawing is seeing. Mm. Seeing is understanding. And understanding is the beginning of wisdom. So... To unpack that a little bit, for me, the act of drawing, especially if I'm drawing something that I'm looking at, is a form of meditation. Because if you're trying to draw representationally, like to draw what you see, you have to slow way down and actually look at something. And like the, you know, um, there's that classic book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, that tries to help people learn how to draw. And in the early phases of art training, you have to shut down that analytical part of your brain and open up your eyes to actually see what's there rather than what you assume is there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what drawing and art does, is it's a, it's a physical discipline to actually see the world, which I think is a spiritual discipline to be able, I mean, Jesus said, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, right, is that to, to be able to discern what the world actually is. So for me, drawing is a discipline of that. Um, so it's meditation. Like, like I said, you know, when I was hurting, I went to art as therapy. And so when I'm sitting there, have you seen the movie Soul? I have not yet. I oh, need to. Oh, you need to do it and then do a podcast on it. It's okay. one of the best movies ever made. But there's this, it's all about the meaning of life, purpose. It's a deep, deep movie. But 
it focuses in on a jazz musician and how when he's playing his music, he gets caught up in this space, in the zone, you know? And I only say that because that's what happens to me when I draw. Mm. Like when I'm creating, like hours can go by and it doesn't even seem like it. And, and that is just contemplation. It's when I'm doing that, I feel very close to God. I feel God speaks uh, through that. Uh, so, yeah, I think art is huge as far as faith formation. And then on the flip side of it, like my cartooning and that as a form of communication and expression is just another discipline of being able to um, articulate what I think about God or think about this scripture um, through art. So to me, they're really interconnected. Where do you think we are as a church when it comes to the role of art in the life of the church? Um, when I think about that, my my husband is a church musician, um, mm -hmm. actually a church in Egan, um, and he's also a pastor's kid. And I think through him, I've understood, you know, church musicians, that that's also very much an art for them. And he has composed music and all of that. And I think regular for most part of the time, we don't think of church musicians as artists, um, even though they very well are artists, which then leads me to think that as the church, we don't always think deeply about art and spirituality. Um, so I, I guess I would, would love to hear your view on that. Where is the church kind of falling short and where is it working? Yeah, that's such a good question, and it's there's so many ways to think about it. Um, starting with music, you know, the music seems to be the one assumed art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so much a part. Like you said, it it become it's so much a part of our DNA as a as church that we don't think of it as art but we wouldn't be church without the art of music, mm -hmm. right? But we don't always, we, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. That's okay. my dog. <laughs> uh, the joys of, of home offices, right? Um, so when, when we think about um, art in general, whether it's music or visual art, I think one of the traps that churches can get into is to instrumentalize art. That's a bad choice of words because I'm not talking about music instruments. I'm talking about using art as a tool mm -hmm. to communicate something. And which ironically, that's what I do. <laughs> you know, I use my art as a teaching tool. Um, and it's not bad to do that. But I think we've made that the only purpose for art. Like if you're going to use art, it's well, you use art to teach or you use art to communicate a point, you know. So if you're a preacher, um, you're going to find a, a, a painting or, an, or a drawing that will illustrate your point. But art, it's, it's funny, I'm, I'm uh, this is going to seem like another shameless plug, but I'm actually, uh, I have a book coming out this summer oh, okay. as part of the Working Preacher series. Um, so, you know, Working Preacher website has a series of books called the Work, Working Preacher Book Series. And they invited me to write a book about the use of visuals in preaching. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, I was actually, I'm working on the final edits of it today, actually, right before we got on, on this call. Um, but one of the points I'm making there is that the church historically has been a visual thing long before it was a textual thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, for most of human history, humans were predominantly illiterate. Mm -hmm. So the written word meant nothing to them. And so if you look at the churches as far back as the Byzantine era, right? You know, as, as soon as Christians started building buildings, they adorned it with art, but it wasn't decorative. It was... Um, experiential. The, 
it, you know, one of the purposes for the art was to learn the stories of scripture. So there's that cognitive didactic purpose for it. But art is also, especially in the Eastern traditions, and even today in the iconography of Eastern uh, traditions, art was a, a transcendent, transformative process where you interacted with the art as a means of being brought into the presence of God. So art has this powerful uh, purpose for worship and spiritual formation that is nonverbal, supra-rational, brings you into this interchange. And if you want to go deep into 20th century philosophy, uh, things like Hans Gadamer, you know, Hans Georg Gadamer and his whole thing of his whole philosophy began with art. And the, the interaction between the artwork itself and the viewer of the art in that subjective interchange. Because once an artist creates a piece, the piece lives in its, on its own. <laughs> and every person who has an encounter with the artwork brings themselves to the art and they have this exchange, right? So that in itself is uncontrollable and beautiful, but we don't, we, when I say we, I mean those of us who are in, in these Western Christian traditions that are hyper-rational, very text-based, you know, you're in the Disciples of Christ tradition. I'm in a Lutheran tradition. I would say pretty confidently that both of those come from kind of a rationalist perspective yes. where it's all about preaching the word, you know, not that we shouldn't preach the word, but I've been drawn, uh, pun intended, into more of some of the, you know, Christian mysticism around um, art and, and meditation and the use of uh, even like the Stations of the Cross or um, the the Visio Divina. You've heard mm -hmm. of Lectio Divina, right? But the Visio Divina of just engaging a piece of art and and allowing God to speak to you through the art. And just, you know, and I don't know that, I know the church that I serve, we don't do that. <laughs> uh, I I do it with small groups. I do it with youth, you know, youth are way more receptive to that. Or or even sitting with a piece of film, you know, because that's a whole nother art genre of, of filmmaking and, and, you know, watching a film, experiencing a film, and then processing it in community. And that's just powerful formational stuff. You know, I, th I find it interesting that we've only had... Um, in some ways, a written way of looking at faith for about 700 years, if you think, with maybe the 1500s with the printing press. Um, and before that, there was, a, most of that was visual. Um, and I think it's, it's also interesting for me, having grown up in the Black church, that there is still in many ways either an oral or a visual tradition that is not text-based. Um, even though, you know, most of most people now go to seminary, it's very much still relies on memory and relies on what we see. Um, and it just, I guess that's something I've been thinking about is that that tradition really is still going and that there is kind of that richness that I think sometimes a text-based tradition misses out on. Um, yep. And that's, of course, I'm not panning the, the text-based one, but it seems like we, we forget that importance of, you know, for a good long time in the church, there was no text. Um, and there are still traditions out there that they aren't really relying on the written word. It's, it's, the word is coming out in different ways. That's right. Yeah. And and I think, you know, music is one of the things that has kept the the arts alive. And but now that 
our society as a whole with the advent of digital media has made the visual to the forefront again. Mm-hmm. So it, it's time for the church to realize that visual is actually our primary language now. Mm-hmm. You know, people see images all the time and then we piece them together and make meaning out of them. And to just stand up in a worship service and say words, people have a hard time even focusing on words anymore, you know? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just an opportunity to understand visual art in a different way and um, more than an instrument for education. (laughs) Why do you think that that, especially I think within Protestantism, um, we kind of turned away, or certain parts of it turned away from art. Um, Mm. And some went really radical. If you were looking at, you know, Geneva under um, John Calvin, what was the reasoning behind that? Was it just simply we got to get rid of everything that's Catholic, and and when what was the result of that? Yeah, I, well, I I certainly think that part of it was just an an anti-Roman reaction, and I think that there was also an an allergy to or an aversion to um, idolatry. Mm. And so, you know, one of the great accusations against um, the Eastern traditions or the iconic traditions is that the icons became idols. And so, so then in, in European Reformation traditions, Luther, Calvin, those guys, um, that, that corresponded with the rise of the Enlightenment and rationalism. Right. And so Mm -hmm. they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and with the advent of the printing press where the printed word became the most readily available way to communicate ideas. And it was expensive to reproduce artwork, you know, and the best reproduction you could do would be like a woodcut or a metal etching. So you had these really simple, but interestingly enough, Luther used a lot of art in his hmm. propaganda. Okay. There's a, there's a book that was written called Brand Luther, I think. Or there's a whole book. Um, it was written in conjunction with the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. But it, it explores how Luther and the art house in Wittenberg um, created his pamphlets and used art to illustrate his ideas and then propagate. That's the reason the Reformation took off was because they were able to reproduce these ideas and get them out there. Because all the previous reformers didn't have an ability to spread the word, so it couldn't go viral, right? Mm-hmm. And But Luther's ideas went viral because of the printing press and because of these illustrations. So that's an interesting thing. But to your question, I think because of rationalism, and this, this need to analyze and understand what is truth, um, there, that led toward more of the empirical sciences and away from the subjectivity of art mm-hmm. and the idolatry, you know, the, you know, we're not worshiping an image, we're worshiping the God behind the image and all that. And so I think that all of those things combined just led to this emphasis of written word and written text mm-hmm. and uh and we're just recovering from that i think in the 20th century mm. now we're in the yeah. 21st century but <laughs> i do the same thing 20 years into it and i still call it that i know i know but i you know i think you're right with the the whole digital revolution that it seems it's bringing back um visual and I think it's bringing it back in a different way. Um, obviously, it's not, we're not abandoning text, but it's, it is coming back in a way that I think um, none of us really thought about. And I, I guess my question would be, how is the church adapting to this change? 
or is it even adapting? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wish I had a broad enough perspective to answer that. Um, I know that I can only speak from my own experience. The, uh, how is the, oh, so, you know, in my experience, having been in one particular kind of church, you know, when, when I was in the evangelical church, we used art all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we had dr- live drama, we had visual images. I think we were really on the cutting edge of using visual communication as a means. And I think that's where it became instrumentalized, <laughs> you know, that it was just a tool to sell the gospel golden ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it, good and also bad because it isn't the fullness of what art is. Um, in the context that I am right now, I think there's an openness to it. Like we have an art gallery in our building and we have a curator who uh, goes and finds art and hangs art and there's always shows going. And we have this, in Egan, there's this thing called the Art Superblock and we're part of this collective community of art. And so our church is trying to be involved in that. But another piece of this is that You know, we live in a moment in history where we're so hyper-individualized that everybody just does whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you can curate your own gallery right on your smartphone. And so I think we've lost a sense of what art does for community. I think we're just struggling for community in general, right? And so, um, especially after two years of being in COVID, we're just trying to survive, (laughs) You know, and so that's really the things that COVID has done is it like people don't come to our art gallery because they're not coming in the building and being able to have art shows and art openings has been really thwarted because people aren't gathering because that's another thing that art does is art that's done in community when when you have like one of the reasons I'm involved in art works is because there's always a show hanging in the gallery and shows draw together artists around a topic to hang art, but then the, the show itself gathers and invites the community into a space. And I think, to your question, I think that's something that the church could learn from. You know, that gathering in a space isn't just for a particular form of worship that we would call worship but that art has a real powerful way of gathering people around really open-ended conversations. And just simply the, the fact of, of what is the good and the beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, in an open and relational theology, talking about that God invites us into the good and beautiful in every moment, right? And I think that's one of the purposes of art, is it's a human... Uh, it's a human expression of trying to reflect or understand what is beautiful about the world. Mm-hmm. Not that all art has to be beautiful, and I don't mean pretty. Um, art is also revolutionary and makes a commentary, but all of those things, it's a community conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a friend, Mark Scandrett, who's in San Francisco. He has reimagined San Francisco, and, you know, uh, they do community murals, they do community art experiences that brings the church together. And all that kind of stuff around art, like the church that I serve, you know, we're not there yet. We don't understand that part of art, but I think we're open to it. Hmm. One thing I, I guess I probably should have asked this earlier, but have you been able to communicate with other pastors who are also artists and um and do you kind of kind of gather together, kind of commiserate and and find ways of supporting each other in in, in your in your art? A little bit. Okay. Uh, there's a couple artists, a couple pastors who are very creative who do this kind of thing that I have connected with. Um, I'm not a great networker. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things about artists. I mean, everybody's different. 
you know, I'm an introvert. Uh, I, I like being in the studio and producing it. Um, and to, to go out and meet all the other people is sometimes hard for me. But I do have a couple other artists, pastors, who I do talk with a little bit about it. But the, and there's a, a wider circle that keeps talking about doing that, but we haven't yet. <laughs> we haven't yet. Okay. Well, I'm kind of curious, are there any future projects that you would be willing to share? Uh, I'm always willing to share. The project that I'm on, I think I've already mentioned the two that I'm working on, the, mm-hmm. the, the finishing up John, that's huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ongoing exploration of what a cartoonist guide to the Bible will become is really what I'm, I'm just asking, okay, God, what is this? Mm. Is, this just, um, is this just a place for me to have an outlet and a canvas and just put my stuff out there, or are you calling me to do something more with it? I don't know. Um, I, there are people who who seem to be engaged with it, um, but I'm not quite sure what it is or where it's going yet. But my projects are uh, to continue to explore that, and I and. Another thing that I'm thinking about that I'd love to think about is theologically. So I, um, my, my theological discipline is spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And I have this, um, the name of my thesis was Deep in the Burbs. And so I've got a lot of imagery around spiritual formation. And so I, I have this sense that when I'm done with the Gospels, I want to start working on creating some visual resources and explorations of spiritual formation. Um, and there, there's a lot of them out there right now. I've got this whole thing called the overflow principle and, and um, I've been working with this missional and open and relational theology and, and creating artwork and animation around exploring the, that theology and its implications for faith formation so I'll be illustrating that quite a bit more, I think, in the coming months and years. And how do you see your art um, kind of working with your work as a pastor in the coming years? Do you still see, I mean, you've worked on on the um, the Gospels. Do you see yourself doing some of the older Old Testament stories and to kind of help people? Or Oh, yeah. Well, I do, I, I illustrate the stories as they come to me in preaching assignments. Okay. And so like, or in teaching assignments. So I'm, I'm always teaching a class of one type or another, and I, and I am the pastor responsible for confirmation. So I do a lot of teaching of middle schoolers. And so, for example, this last fall, <clears throat> excuse me, this last fall, um, it just worked out that it made sense for me to illustrate Genesis uh, 1 through 3. So I turned the two creation stories of Genesis 1 through 3 into a seven-page graphic novel. Mm. Uh, I mean, not graphic novel, but a seven-page graphic novel style Mm -hmm. uh, document. And so, and I used it for teaching confirmation and for preaching because you always start in Genesis in the narrative lectionary. And so, so every time I create something like that, I do it because I'm in the moment teaching or preaching, but then it lives on. Mm-hmm. And so like last year when we got into Acts, so I've illustrated all of Acts, but each time I teach a different part of Acts, I have drawn out the stories in more detail and it's just so much fun. So I have several pages done. So, I, I mean, some people have asked, so when, when's the whole cartoonist guide to the whole Bible going to be finished? Like, probably never. But every time I preach or teach, I'll draw something. So, I mean, I've, got, I've literally got uh, over 200 PowerPoints that you can download that have an illustration of some part of Scripture. Wow. Uh, and, and that will just keep growing, you know. 
So if someone wants to know a little bit more about um, your work and you, where would they go online? Yeah, um, two places. Um, my website is stevethomason.net, okay. and that has tons of stuff on it. It's got uh, Bible stuff. It's got um, theology. It's got spiritual formation stuff, and it's got all my art galleries. So if you just care about art, just click on the art, and you can go through all my galleries and enjoy the artwork. Um, and then within that, there's a direct link to cartoonistbible.com. Okay. And so a year ago, October, October of 2020, is I officially extracted all the Cartoonist Bible stuff from my personal website and made it its own standalone website, cartoonistbible.com. And tunebible.com also works. And uh, that's where um, you can actually just read through the whole Bible uh, as a, in illustration, in my cartooning style. And, uh, you know, read the text, download the PowerPoints, um, read some commentary. There's links to other resources like Bible Project and Enter the Bible at Luther Seminary, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So those are the two places. All right. Well, I just want to say thanks. This has been great to, this is still something I, even though I don't consider myself an artist, I've, I'm fascinated by the connection between art and spirituality. So I'm thankful that you provided a window into that experience yeah. um, this afternoon. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. I, you know, I don't get asked very often, so I just love being able to talk about it. Okay. Well, Thanks again, and um, definitely we will talk again soon. All right. as much as I did. I wanted to, uh, part of the interview where he was talking about how he could be in the zone, um, that hours could pass by, the, you know, how in some ways this was a way of, of how he was drawing closer to God was through his art and, and, and even making art, um, made me think about uh, the musician Charlie Peacock. Um, some of you may know he was um, big in music circles, especially contemporary Christian circles in the 80s and 90s, but also more recently he has been um, a producer. If you're familiar with the group The Civil Wars, he produced um, their um, debut album. He's always been very focused on the arts and arts and, and spirituality and where those intersections happen, just kind of like uh, Steve did. And I wanted to share this quote because it, to me, sums up really what Steve was talking about. And this is supposedly, hopefully, um, what um, Charlie Peacock said. It's not just about the creativity. It's about the person you're becoming while you're creating. Something to think about. Well, again, thank you for listening. Um, please take the time to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platform you listen to. When you take the time to leave a review, it makes it easier for people to find this podcast in their search results. There is a link in the show notes that makes leaving a review rather easy. Also, be aware that Enroute has a YouTube channel, so if you like to listen to um, podcasts on YouTube. Uh, this episode will be available. Actually, though, also, as an addition, the video version of this will also be available, so uh, do watch for it when it comes out. Um, check your show notes for the link to the YouTube channel, and then subscribe. And also, if you want to know a little bit more about me, 
um, read some of my articles, um, make sure to visit the podcast website at enroutepodcast.org. That is it for this episode of Enroute, the journeys and journeys in religion and modern life. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care, Godspeed, and we will see you soon. an uneasiness growing within today's parents. Questions arise around what our kids are being taught, exposed to, and influenced by. Thankfully, a fully engaged, well-informed parent is a powerful thing. And that's why I support Answers in Genesis, and I would recommend you do as well, because it's important to remember that the battle for our kids' minds isn't one in the courts or the classrooms. It's one from the safety and comfort of our own home. So be the difference our kids need, and visit www.answers.gift today.